And now it's time for the podcast, Sustainable Dad. Hey, and welcome to Sustainable Dad. This week, we are going to talk with Lee Stewart. He is a director for environmental company Endeavor, and they are responsible for energy efficiency, carbon accounting, and climate change strategy, mitigation, and scenario analysis. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's really passionate about climate change. It means he's really passionate about sustainability. Um, He actually uh, headed off to Jakarta, I believe, in 2011 to do climate reality training. If you haven't heard about the Climate Reality Project, well worth checking out. Um, Hopefully you enjoy this conversation. I think it's really fascinating to hear from an everyday person who's actually geared his business to do something in the sustainable area. Um, Hope you find this uh, beneficial. We had this chat a couple of weeks ago. Here is Lee Stewart, Director at Endeavour Environmental. Top of the morning to you, Lee. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Mate, now one of the things that I found really fascinating is that uh, you look at the role of digital technology in achieving greater sustainability outcomes. How does that play a factor in making people more sustainable? Well, it's, it's such a broad um, topic and approach, but what I really like about digital technology is it really touches everyone. Mm. Um, everyone's got a device. Everyone um, can access information or um, do things on their device that just wasn't able to do, you know, five, six years ago. But what really brought me about the opportunity was starting to look at where can digital, in terms of communication, um, where can this explosiveness of the IoT devices as well and the cost of that coming down dramatically can make you do more things around emission and energy management that just wasn't possible three or four years ago because it was just costly. Um, so there's some really good opportunities where you can embrace technology and get to know some really good insights of what's going on in your facility or where does that, even looking at waste streams now, where does that waste go to by looking at small GPS sensors and where does all this stuff end up? And there's so many different possibilities, which it's really enabled for by digital technology that I believe as a society, we're only really scratching the surface of the potential of that. Now, you released a, a report called Smarter 2030 where you, yep. um, you say that based on the technology available right now, we can reduce yep. Australian emissions by 26%. Yeah, correct. And we're does... only looking at a few industry sectors as well, not everything, but yeah. Okay, so what were the specific industry sectors you were looking at? So we're looking at agriculture, transport, um, and, and just business and health. Um, all things that um, we are doing today, so um, health would be um, e-health can reduce travel times to create better services, especially to rural Australians, uh, and, and deliver can deliver better outcomes. Um, agriculture's got a huge potential to, um, with smart fences and so forth, to increase crop yields per, um, per square kilometre per hectare, reduce water waste as well. Um, there's some really interesting things. And also, it can create new products as well. Um, a really interesting example in that report was in Japan, they used an old warehouse, was reused and put sensors on everything and made a hydroponics lab where they grew zero potassium lettuce mm. because they could sensor it and stuff. So that you might want to know why do I need a zero potassium lettuce, but if you're unfortunate enough to be hooked up to a dialysis machine, you have a zero potassium diet. So they created a new product that could charge premium for it 
so these people um, could actually enjoy lettuce mm. um, and so forth. So it's all these different things that we just don't um, really understand yet. And transport's huge. Transport, you and I aren't using our car right now. True. Could that be now used by someone else? And is that a stranded asset for me? Will I need to own a car? Now, I've got an um, eight-year-old daughter. I'm dreading teaching her to learn to drive. Imagine if it could be an autonomous vehicle that I just hire at a time when I need it to get her up to school and up to band practice and stuff like that, and I know where she is all the time. We don't need to own a car, and, and maybe there'll be less tra- traffic needed, less roads built. Um, there's different things that we just... Um, the possibilities when you look at that and you look at sustainable lens across the digital world... I think it's fascinating. It's something that um, I think we need to pay more attention to. Yeah, I mean, certainly as you talk, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is kind of a bigger, bolder, brighter future. But like, when yeah. when we're talking specifically, like, okay, you say it's possible to reduce those emissions by 26 percent just across those particular industries you're looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What was the biggest driving change? Where you go, okay, if we made this change, we'd have the most impact. Yeah, I think. Look, I've just come off delivering a, a webinar on energy management, and it's just just businesses need to start understanding where your energy consumption is going, and um, at a granular level, even more with sensors and so forth, because treat energy in your business like cash, and you will find savings and reduce emissions at the same time. I think it's just the basic thing of energy management is really missing in this narrative around that. I think that's a huge opportunity for all of Australian businesses around um, you know, driving energy costs and so forth. There is another flip side around energy efficiency, enabling digital to help you with that, understanding more and just optimising your business. A very simple example was um, we had IoT sensors put on four processing machines and these blow plastic, plastic moulds. Mm. All do the same thing, but they realised that machine four uses 100% more energy than the other three. No reason for it, but what they do is they don't, well, they only use machine four when they're 100% capacity, and you know, not using it as the first one off the rank. So that's saving them, you know, 50%, 60%, and it's that simple in some cases. But you wouldn't have known it until you could go a, a $200 sensor that was put on there and measured it for, for a few weeks and going, hey, that one's probably using a lot more than the others. And there's thousands and, of dollars of savings there. Absolutely, and it's not... You're not redesigning a business process. You're just not. You go, hey, we're only flicking that one on. We're at 100% capacity, which is about 15% of the time. So, and my understanding is you can introduce those sensors at home. Like I, I got solar on the house, yeah. yep. but I can actually add, add a sensor that will sense the types of products in my house and then calculate what ones are using the most energy and give me feedback on that. Yep, yep. There's those as well. And there's even a simple... You can do a Wi-Fi plug for thirty bucks, and I, I've got one on my pool pump, which I um, measure and know, and I just fire up when I'm using the solar output. So, making sure I'm not feeding into the grid, I'm running my pool during the day using the solar energy because I get a feed-in tariff. That's wait, it's a financial thing as well. My feed-in tariff is you know measly eight cents, and I'm buying it at night for thirty-five. Yeah. So I run the pool pump, and I've got it on a, a Wi-Fi sensor that I can look at, and it calculates how much energy it's used over the time and I've changed the timing adjustments and things um, there's some really cool software that you can use um, if this then that little recipe so you can program a recipe so if I'm feeding into the grid turn on pool pump yeah. sort of thing um, and you can get more smarter with that and just a lot, a lot of and that's making more and more accessible now 
Whereas, you know, a smart home was tens of thousands of dollars. You can do a smart home for a couple hundred bucks now sort of thing and start what you're just doing now. You don't think... um. You don't think energy is going to stay the same way. I just can't imagine that, that as more people add solar to their house, that they're going to be okay, you know, selling at eight cents, buying at whatever it is, you know, yeah. 23 cents. When they go, yeah. surely there's a way that we could do an energy co-op where yeah. I can go to a free marketplace and sell my energy to someone who needs it. Yeah, absolutely. These are these sort of um, community solar projects. Um, Pioneer in Brooklyn in uh, New York, mm. where the community solar was selling the solar to their um other people in the in the sort of and the microgrid growth of microgrids. I think there's a pilot program happening in Perth around that, where um, there's a large facility of solar, but they don't use all that energy, but they're selling that energy to the neighbourhood and so forth. Um, so it's all real smart ways of doing that, and um, really really innovative ways. And there's also um, they're using blockchain to actually um, track the kilowatts of the grid to sell between each other. So they're taking the whole next step further and making sure there's financial ledgers and so forth around this. Um, it's really exciting when you look at that and what is possible. That's incredible. Yeah. Mate, one of the things that I noticed that you did, and I thought this was fascinating, is that you used artificial intelligence to help them find located endangered species. Can, yeah. you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that was the um, Digital Hour project, which I was involved with in my last job when I worked at uh, uh, a global IT company called Fujitsu. And um, we're working with the state government and, I mean, New South Wales have got um, just under a 1,000 species are endangered. And when I heard that number, I went, God, what are we doing? I mean, how can technology help this? And I, I caught up with the Saving Our Species coordinator in New South Wales and sort of said, well, you know, the, the ranges, there's not many ranges left. You know, they've been constrained. They can't get out in the field much. And they need to know where these endangered plants are and animals and stuff. We started out, so let's... So I worked on a partnership. I actually pitched internally for some funding to try out a pilot project, and it was using a commercial drone to fly over this area called Mount Dango, which is a 600-metre um, basalt salt peak, really, which they can only really access by helicopter, and they don't really have much funds to go there a lot. And there was just um, Acacia dangarensis. It's a very um, plant that hadn't been seen for a long time due to drought and stuff. And um, we managed to scan that area at different heights, and take tens of thousands of images and spend a lot of time training this artificial intelligence engine to say, that's what it looks like, that's what you know, what species look like. Yep. And over time, it becomes smarter. So we've got the accuracy up from, like, we started with 40% accuracy. In the end of the project, we're about 85% accuracy as we get more images and, and so forth. And we were able to actually closely analyze it. We've, we've, we reckon we found it. This, this plant, and um, we identified it and geotagged it. So the range out there a month later and actually climbed the peak and actually went straight to that location and yet got some close images and said, yes, that's the endangered plant we haven't seen for a few years. Incredible. Um, so, so it was really successful, and I think it's a, a fantastic way of where industry can partner with um, government for a really good cause. And um, the idea is we want to feed it more information so it can identify more plants and species and hopefully mammals through, um, you know, infrared heat technology and stuff that you can see through the bush to identify koalas and other animals and stuff. And hopefully we can enable the rangers to actually effectively plan um, the, you know, the strategy around saving these animals and species. Extraordinary. So that was very good, yeah. 
Lee, uh, uh, you know, I wonder myself is that he hear you. You got involved with the climate reality reality project um, amongst a whole bunch of different um, other. Um, organizations that are involved in sustainability and climate change yeah. How, yeah. you know for someone who's just a regular punter who's just getting their heads around this idea because they're hearing it more and more in the news how are you finding these organizations to get involved with and how do you know the right ones and you, you know you haven't end up like a fruit loop environmentalist but you you kind of think about stuff seriously yeah i suppose there, there are a lot of organizations out there i suppose it's just looking at um what, what's their intent Mm. Their intention, um, and a lot of these produce some very good research. The Climate Council um, produce some really good research on what what the future could be around renewable, and backed by scientists, you know, credible scientists, and so forth. So, it's really find out what's their intention. Does it align to your values? Um, uh, do some research. You know, read their papers, what they do, what they stand, and what what's their engagement model like, and so forth. And who's running the organisation um, can be quite useful to know. But um, there are a lot of good causes to to go out there and support, and um, and I think it's just really what, find out what's what's aligned to you and your values. Mm. Brilliant, Lee, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Right. It's been a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm-hmm.